really great to have you with us as uh, we're here at the Global Catalyst Camp in Kenya for DMM. It's been an absolutely awe-inspiring time as we've been listening to stories uh, from people and practitioners and leaders. And uh, one of the things I wanted to grab was an interview with Roy. Uh, Roy Moran has uh, written a book for, that we, ha- a lot of us have read, uh, Spent Matches, and we've also looked at his other writings in Hybrid Church and uh, really looking at what does movement look like in the West. But more on that a uh, bit later in the movement, uh, in the interview, I mean. Uh, Roy, great to have you with us. Oh, thanks, Dave. Thank- and it's great to have you and your team here. Uh, it was exciting when Isla told me that you're going to bring the whole crew, or, or a lot of the crew here. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, it's really fun. So good, so good. Uh, Roy, um, take us back in your journey uh, from a pastor to a movement. I would describe you as a movement leader, encourager, catalyzer, teacher. Um, take us back into that journey and help us see your journey. Sure. Well, there's so many streams that that kind of come together like almost a perfect storm. For me, um, I grew up in a military family, traveled around a lot of the world, so it kind of gave me a global perspective. Um, uh, I, I began following Jesus when I was 16, and shortly after I, uh, I began following Jesus, I was thrown into leadership positions. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the depth of, of, of uh, emotion that I had in following Jesus uh, somehow was, was accidentally seen and grabbed a hold of and, and, and threw me in places I wasn't qualified to be. And uh, that gave me a taste for seeing transformation take place in people's lives. And so all I knew at that time was to kind of take a, a, a track that was very traditional, go to college, go to, to a graduate school in theology, and, and work in a church. And so that's what I did. But all along the way, there was these, these mentors and people that always kept kind of chipping off a little bit of focusing me you know, in a direction that would lead to movement. Um, I, I went to um, to seminary. I got a degree in Greek and went to seminary and got a full head of theology and all that kind of stuff. And um, um, but I always had this sense of entrepreneurism in me. I always read business books. I always read this, these things about you know, in Silicon Valley and stuff like that. And so six or seven years in, in in a regular local church just taught me that that there's not much entrepreneurial, or at least I, I thought of myself as an ecclesiastical entrepreneur. Yeah. And so I just, um, I, I, I went and, and um, just, the church just didn't do it for me. It wasn't a bad situation either. I don't have these scars on my you know, soul that say, you know, I just got thrown out and they were so mean and that kind of stuff. I, you know, I still go back to that place and still have you know, good friends and stuff like that. But, um, but I, I, I went off and, and worked for a parachurch ministry. For a, a group called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and the freedom there to to be creative and inventive and and and, and to reach athletes, you know, with all kinds of of, uh, of unique strategies, uh, really enticed me. And uh, I, I left there, and and um, I fell into a group of people who were wanting to start a church. And my my heart was and soul was shaped toward what I just experienced in that four years is to say, is there any way we could build a church that would be tilted toward lost people? And so that led me to Willow Creek and Bill Hybels in the, in the mid-90s and, and all that was going on. And so we we started a, a Willow Creek-style church um, in that process. And we were we were successful. We were, and we're probably still one of the only 
uh, Willow Creek style churches that exist. Uh, and, and maybe when someone hears this, they'll stop listening to me because that's. <laughs> uh, but but um, we uh, really had this desire to see lost people and come come to faith, and so we, we started this uh, this gathering on Sunday that had no musical worship. Uh, all, all the music was was uh, you know music people here on the radio and stuff like that, and and we were successful and, and we were seeing lost people come to faith, baptizing them, and and, uh, and as as this is happening in the process, um, there is a, a discomfort in my soul because a lot of it is revolving around me, and I I can't I can't get to because I had this sense that disciple making was. I, I needed to make disciples that made disciples. It, it needed to grow into a sort of a, a spiritual grandparent thing, and it, and it wasn't happening. And uh, in that discomfort, um, our leadership team looked at at what was happening at Shoal Creek and said, "Hey, we're we're not going to get on the track that every other church gets on. We're not going to, you know, buy a bigger building and buy a bigger or bigger piece of land and raise money and spend you know every three years doing these capital campaigns. We're not going to do that." So we set aside some money, and, and they sent my wife and I around the world to say, go find some place wow. that, is, wow. that is scaling the gospel. Yeah, wow. And so we just started looking, and we looked at you know, every place in the U.S. first, obviously, and, and uh, every, every place we turned, we didn't see any scale. Mm. You know, we, we saw a lot of unique strategies, mm. a lot of unique ways of doing church, you know, a lot of ways of repackaging you know, church into house or, you know, neighborhood or that kind of stuff. But we didn't see any scale. I ran across um, a, a friend of mine now, wasn't then, his name's Jim Egley, had wrote a, a, a little article, and this is one of Jim's gifts, is sitting in a meeting and capturing it for people. So he wrote this article about David, or, or about um, Victor John talking to a bunch of, of uh, I think, Methodist pastors in Nashville. At a retreat center, and so, I, and in that article, I saw the name David Watson, and I knew Victor was like in India, so David, you know, was was located here, and so I just started searching for whoever this David Watson was, and um, I, I found a blog that he was doing and started reading it, and then I I found a. Uh, on what I was headed to South Africa, I was helping this little Bible school in South Africa and stuff, and and I found a, a article in there from a guy from South Africa. I was headed there to do training, and I, I just on a lark asked this guy, his name David Burdick. Yeah. I, I said, uh, David, would you? I'll pay for you to come down, fly down. You know, he was he was in Midran at that time. Fly down to uh, where we were, and um, and just lead a day long training. And David did. He flew down and. And that was my introduction, really face to face, to to hearing someone talk. I, I'd heard a lot of David on tape and and stuff. When Paul had his son had had put together cpmtr.org, and, and and it had a lot of you know just video, really crappy video, you know. But it was I just ate it up because I I just sensed that there was something there, you know, about the scalability of the gospel and. and um, you know, I'd grown up in a military family. I, I mentioned that, and my father was a was an enlisted man. He wasn't an officer, and and he had given me this this uh, this sense that that ordinary people could do extraordinary things. You know, he didn't finish high school. Uh, he only got a ninth grade education, and and he had a, a very successful military career, uh, and related to a lot of people that that were above him, almost his peers. And so it gave me this sense that. 
you know, ordinary people can do things and, and stuff. And so, as I, say, as I mentioned, you know, this perfect storm coming together, that piece of my life, you know, the mentors in my life that really, you know, helped me see that, that we ought to be focused on lost people. And then I ran into, you know, David and Victor and this, this idea of, of what was happening. So I just started trying to find them and, and trying to, and I ended up, you know, uh, being invited in 2010 to uh, a city team gathering uh, that David was with City Team at that time, and uh, and it was there that um, I mean I I had I had listened to and almost memorized everything I I could get my hands on from David Watson, yeah. Yeah. you know. So that was really and and I started practicing. I started you know trying to do discovery with people and and, and help people understand what persons of peace were and mm. all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I mean it was, it, when I look back on it now, it was ugly. You know, I mean, the training was just ugly, you know, I I think, and I still know a lot of the people that put up with that, you know, so I just, sometimes I apologize to them, you know, I have beat you up with bad stuff, you know, Uh, but, but many of them stuck with it and many of them are, you know, are, are, are in the game right now, you know, because of it. But I, I just, uh, I found, you know, city team, David and, and, uh, you know, we're sitting here uh, one day. In 2010, when I was with the, the all the city team guys, that miraculous movement story guys, we were going out to the Russian River for rafting, and yeah. and the guy sitting behind me just kept asking me questions, you know, after question, and and I'm I I feel like I'm sitting with royalty at that moment, you know, these all these these guys who are seeing amazing things happen, and uh, it was Isla Tassi who, and and it just that trip bonded us together what brings me here today you know in this this moment is uh and so i i began to learn and figure out what you know what it looked like and they began to, to teach and coach me i travel you know to here and to west africa and ethiopia and places you know and and just let those guys feed into me and and look at these practitioners i mean so many of these people around here have so much less education than i do but they are such awesome mentors in my life mm-hmm. you know to be able to give me uh what i don't know I, uh, I just saw a guy a few minutes ago i told him a story i was with a, a guy named bernard and and uh, you know the idea in, in movement of of understanding what it means to catalyze you know as we talked about today you know it, it can't happen without you but it must not depend on you every ounce of of training i've ever gotten in in, in modern traditional christianity has been about making it about me Uh, and and it wasn't that way explicitly but just the fact that I put so much content in me and wanted people wanted to be able to answer people's questions and help them in their times of need and all that kind of stuff it just made me someone that they were dependent on and I heard Bernard say the day I enter a a slum or a town or a village or anything the the day I enter it is the day I begin to think about how I'm going to leave Mm. And I just thought, wow! And that that has rocked me, you know. Ever since I heard him say that, is that 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 posture, you know, of of giving it away and letting the gospel move away from you. And uh, so I just I, you know, began to consume as much as I could in that and be trained and, and chiseled, you know. And uh, and, and really, uh, you know, it's like uh, in the voyage of the Don Treader. Uh, there's a, a moment where um, Eustace comes back from being the, the lizard or the dragon and he has all that skin ripped off of him yeah, yeah. and 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 is is c.s lewis describes it you know it's just it's just excruciating you know and the painful is the lion uses his claws and and that that's what it was for me is to to really 
reimagine all of the. Tr- no, there's nothing wrong with the truth that I'd learned, but the way it was packaged and the way it was delivered um, was radically different. And uh, so it took an unlearning process, and I, I, that's why I fell in love with the mindsets, you know, and just understanding my mindset had to radically be altered in that process to be able to get to the point where I could get myself out of the way and not just be creating dependencies all over the place, you know, for people on me. So, Wow. We, we sit here, and we've been hearing some incredible stories of multiplication in groups multiplying in some of the hardest of places. But in, in, in these places, which is, you know, some, some what one would describe as impregnable fortresses, we see the flourishing of the kingdom of God. And not just uh, a church or a believer or a family, but thousands upon thousands of churches multiplying rapidly. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and the, the, the invasion of the kingdom of God into these impregnable fortresses of people groups that have been he- held so long in darkness. And this can be multiplied in Africa, in India, and in other places. Um, and it's probably mind-blowing for us all in the West as, as we sit here and probably raises skepticism and doubt to hear even such stories. Um, but as we hear them, we go, oh my goodness, what is God doing on the earth today? What's your perspective here? What is God doing on planet earth today? Um, you know, I, I like to think of it in terms of, of democratization. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, like publishing, for instance. Before the internet, you know, you had to go to a book publisher and had to go jump through all these hoops to get someone to publish your book. With the invention of the internet, you know, you just sit in your own bedroom and publish your own book. You know, and and there's a sense in which the gospel has been uh, set free from this idea. We we have we have um, I've, I've got an article. It's it's an arcane article, but but it's called the the PhD of our society. And so it's this idea that subject matter experts, you know, we raise them up in every you know, area, and so that's who we go to. And, and it's happened, you know, and, and one of the things, I think when Paul says, you know, don't, let, don't be conformed, you know, to this world, but be transformed. I think one of the things that we, we tend to think of it personally, but we don't think of it corporately, we have allowed, you know, the body of Christ and the body of truth and, and what we know as the movement of Christianity to be conformed to this world because we've, we've allowed it to be captured by subject matter experts. Yes. And, and so we lost the idea. I know you, you've probably had the same situation. You know, I, I can quote the Great Commission, and when I quote, you know, teach them all things and leave out that one little four-letter word, and no one will know. Mm-hmm. No one. Even, you know, it's like I'll go on and on, and I'll stop and I say, you know, just you know, grab the moment. and Did, did, did you hear it? You know, and, and no one even gets it. We, we've lost that simple concept, you know, and and it appears so much throughout Jesus's teaching. If you love me, do what I say. You know, don't know what I say, and and we allow that that sense of of knowledge to overtake the application of that truth into life. And so, you know, when Jesus prayed, you know, may, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. You know, the idea of bringing heaven to earth, you know, was not about bringing a certain a certain set of principles and you know body of truth, but it was about about being a lifestyle. You know, it was, it was about bringing something that that 
changes people's lives and stuff. And so I think that's what's happening is, is that what we've seen is, is uh, some, some tactics, some gospeling tactics that have begun to convince people that they can do it, that they can simply see people discipled into the kingdom. And, and as a result of that tactic, they're set free. Uh, I'll never forget um, in that some of those people I beat up, one of them was a kindergarten teacher, uh, but, but she went to, went to school and, and invited six of her faculty into a discovery group. And she wrote me this incredible email. She said, for the first time in my life as a Christian, I feel like I'm invited to play in the kingdom. Wow. And, and, and I think that's what's happening, is, is that this great army of ordinary people uh, have matched up to uh, a tactic of gospeling that is allowing them to be set free, and it's truly seeing transformation. You know, at a level that you know you and I have witnessed. You know, it's just yeah. it's just mind-boggling. It brings you know it breaks it breaks your heart. It brings joy to your soul, yeah. tears to your eyes, everything. You know, it's just incredible. You know, when you see that. So I I think you know we're seeing it here. We're seeing it. You know, Southeast Asia, India, you know, different places. And, uh, and, it, and it catches on. You know, it, it catches on because it's, it's simple, it's repeatable, and it's sustainable. Yeah. And as a result of that, you know, it, it makes a difference in people's lives. Yeah, I don't know about you, but it just produces in me uh, a number of things. A deep humility because you see things going and you go, wow, yeah. uh, that, that's amazing. Uh, a, a sense of worship because it's just not... A man thing. God is doing something, and um, a sense of hunger for the fire, and that's there. A sense yeah. of God. I want this where I am. A jealousy. A, yeah. a holy. I want what He's having. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so this sense of sense of uh, being being brought back to our knees, yeah. and uh, of humility and of hunger uh, for what God is doing on the earth. And yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I get to stand up in front of this room at the Catalyst Camp with a microphone. Um, and and I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes um, it, it, it's, uh, I just look at it and I wonder why I'm up there. Mm. I mean, some of these men and women and in this room have, have had so much more kingdom impact mm. than maybe I'll ever have in my life, yeah. you know? Um, and uh, some of them can't read, can't write, aren't eloquent speakers, but they have a heart that has a posture of obedience toward a father. And, and they have gotten into the father's business, not just his family, but they're in the family business now. And, and they see the joy, you know, because they, they, they defined the problem correctly. You know, it was the pain in their father's heart that his family wasn't there. And, and they're, they're enjoying, you know, feeling that pain and, and also, you know, relieving that pain by, by moving into their you know, culture and, and planting the gospel in ways that it moves away from them. And it just, uh, I mean, it humbles me. I just, you know, I, I just shake my head, you know. My wife asked me, how's it going? I said, ah, I have a hard time saying how it's going. It's going awesome, great, you know, that kind of stuff. But I'm just, it just, uh, it tears me up, you know, just to, I'm just blown away yeah. by what I get to watch. You know, awesome yeah. privilege, isn't yeah, it? It's it is. like standing at the side of something and uh, great uh, 
the theater of God, where God is working and yeah. being a spectator, and God's inviting us in. Mm-hmm. And He yeah. says, "And you too." Yeah. <laughs> wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it down for us in some real practice for those who are watching. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking in very broad brush, mm-hmm. big picture uh, words. What are some of the basics that people need to grasp as we're talking about movements? What What are some of the things that you think someone needs to know if they're mm-hmm. if they're on a journey, or maybe they've been on a journey for a little while, but just need to be encouraged back into the into the basics, the principles, the, the what how how we participate in movement and what God is doing. So yeah. Well, we could we could move at that from de- several different ways, but uh, I, I think one of the things for me is is uh, I had to come to understand that I needed to be re-gospeled. I had always thought of the gospel as uh, four facts about Jesus's life on that day when when he died and then rose again, and and that was the gospel, and I. Came to understand that what, what that did, the ramifications of what that did to people, is it it taught them that that was a finish line, right? It wasn't a starting point. And so, I had to re-gospel myself to understand that that Jesus wasn't interested in me believing in Him; He was interested in me trusting in Him. You know, belief is kind of a static thing. Trust is more of a verbal type thing. You know, it's like it's acting as if it's true. You know, and I, I often posit, as I did it in my book, if we took the word you know, belief, which is pistis, which are both translated equally trust and faith and, and stuff, if we if always translated it trust, you know, it might radicalize Christianity, you know, from that standpoint. But so I, I think coming to a, a different understanding of the gospel to realize that the gospel is about obeying Jesus, and, and and not in a way that we earn anything. We we, we can't earn His favor. Uh, but, but enjoying the benefits of being in the family comes through obedience, and and so as, as people begin to understand that kind of relationship and that posture with their Father in heaven, um, it, it, it changes them. So I think you know, regospeling, getting obedience in the right place. Right. Uh, we we have we we have so uh, over swung the the pendulum to this grace idea that that the idea of obedience to Jesus uh, seems to be we, we're allergic to it yeah. you know and yet Jesus wasn't allergic to it you know I mean he clearly says so many times you know that that if, if you love me obey me you know in that sense um, and so I think that that that, that piece is there I, I think the other piece is, is is really coming to understand that it is about ordinary people that that every person, Jesus has a dream of every one of his followers having grandchildren, spiritual grandchildren. You know, so that's not, you know, you can go to any church, you know, in Australia, you know, U.S., anywhere, uh, and you sit down in the pew where they have nice padded chairs or wherever they have, you know, and you can ask that question and and I guarantee you that there's a tiny percentage of people will see that as normal, yes. you know, in their spiritual journey. You know, their spiritual journey is really about themselves and about the experience they have and the playlist that the worship leader, you know, designs on Sunday and the emotion that they feel and, you know, whether they get moved by the speaker and, 
you know, the temperature of the auditorium and all that other stuff. You know, yeah. they just, it, it, it's not about, you know, the fact that they have the great privilege of, of looking at their neighbors or the people that they work with and dreaming and praying and, and, and having this heart to say, I would love for that person to, to be related to God the way I'm related to God, you know. So ordinary people. Um, but I, I think for a lot of us, you know, I, I live on a normal average you know, street in, in the U.S. And, and I walk up and down that street quite frequently. And as I'm praying, uh, I, I ask myself, how is my life different than my neighbor's? You know, how does Jesus make a difference in my life? And I think that's a damning question for many people who claim to be Christians. Yeah. Um, the, the answer would be, I'm on my way to heaven. You know, and it's like, hmm, is that it? Is that what Jesus intended? And I don't think so, you know. So I think it, someone who's trying to, to get their hands around why this is happening and what's happening is, you know, coming to understand the power of obedience, you know, in the nature of the gospel, in the nature of this idea of kingdom gospel, you know, coming to understand ordinary people, you know, that, that, that it's not about credentials. It's not about, you know, what kind of education. I'm not exchanging content. You know, I'm not telling you a bunch of facts and you tell someone a bunch of facts, but it's it's a much more mystical in such as that you know, my heart and my soul touches your heart and your soul with this idea that my father in heaven wants me to be a part of his family. And and then I get a chance to see other people have that opportunity and, and live in a in a daily ex- existence where Jesus is present in my world. And, and makes a difference, you know, makes a difference in the small things, how I think, you know, how I act, you know, toward, toward my family, toward the people I live with, work around, and those kinds of things. And there's this, I, I now have a story. So one of the, you know, the features that I think is really important is for us to understand is that we spend way too much time trying to help people learn to share their faith. And, and that's a set of propositions. And... Um, a friend of mine the other day uh, uh, sent a message to me, and he was out in the park trying to, quote, share the gospel. And he said, um, this, this guy said to him as he was walking away, he goes, must be really tough to hold to the things you hold to and try to talk about them these days. <laughs> you know, was, and he'd never been approached that so boldly by someone to say, you know, you're... you're barking up the wrong tree dude here you know you, you, so uh, but the idea of, of getting into a space where we can share our story with people mm-hmm. and, and even having the relationship with with enough people yeah. to to be involved in their story yeah. and have them involved in our story yeah. you know I think you know one, one of the greatest things we could do for for many people is is to give them the gift of curiosity you know just to be curious about other people uh, opens up worlds of opportunity, and I, I don't know about Australia, but I know about the U.S. Is that you know we have this mental health issue that's going on? Just you know, re- you know, yeah, we locked ourselves down, and we you know we yeah. shut ourselves off, yeah. and we were already on that way anyway, yeah. and we just added you know gasoline to the fire, and so the opportunity you know to to reach into that you know type of thing and yeah. be curious, pull someone out of that because there's you know the. the you know, U.S. male um, div- uh, not divorce, the male the suicide rate is just skyrocketing. You know, and it's just people just aren't talking. 
you know, and just to get people talking and the opportunity now to share my story. And if Jesus is in the middle of my story, you know, that that's such a beautiful opportunity to help people understand how my Father in Heaven intersects my daily life. Wow. I, I just um, really appreciate, the Roy, what you just did then with us because you didn't download five basic steps. You didn't tell us three methods. You didn't give us the the method or the silver bullet you straight away personalized it into a transformation of of how we think and what is it in our inner world in our life and the possibility that everybody ordinary people can be used by god and to be able to be pushed into the mission of god with uh, sharing and having children and grandchildren that that is actually god's purpose when you have your when you have families they produce children that have families that produce children and there's the order of that but you deeply personalized that and you said this is what a disciple looks like and 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 that's the core of what we're talking about isn't it this this idea of our inner world matching our outer world and everybody participating it's not an institution that can reproduce it's not a method that reproduces it's disciples that make more disciples and the disciple even is some people can be viewing that as a technical word but it's about an encounter with Jesus and a following of Jesus and obedience to Jesus uh, just wonderful you know the other side of that is is a painful moment I'm sure you've walked beside uh, couples who, who've had trouble bearing children and and the pain that comes and in, in trying to have those kids and and the mother and the father, you know, the, and the grandma, the potential grandma, grandpa, that kind of stuff. And, and there's so much pain there, and yet that is that's normality for modern Christianity. Right. And, and we don't see any pain there, you know. And, and we don't see we don't see that as wrong, you know. We, we don't we don't see the pain that's there in our father's heart. That you know, he, yeah, we're not reproducing, and, and, and it's like it's there physically. But but it's not there spiritually, and uh, you know we, we've we've got to sit with that until it just breaks us, you know, because there, there's something radically wrong, yeah. you know, with that kind of Christianity.